Good morning to you. Aren't they cute, Will and Molly? There's one young man in our church. They're married, by the way. And uh, there's one young man in our church who thought uh, Will's name, we kept saying Will and Molly, Will and Molly, and somebody thought his name was Will and Molly. And they were trying to spell that out one day. Isn't that funny? Uh, after church, if you ask me, I'll tell you who it is, a young man in our church. I don't want to embarrass him in front of everybody. But uh, hey, do something if it's not too uncomfortable for you. I want you to stand up for a second and uh, say hello to someone around you that's in close vicinity. And the minimum scenario, listen now, hold on. Some of you have already got started. No one's listening to the preacher. Attention, please. Attention, please. I guess it's a good sign, isn't it? The inmates are running the asylum right now. That's what's happening. This is the kind of stuff that makes the local news. Say hello to someone, uh, introduce yourself, and ask somebody what the word simplify means to them. Would you do that? What is the word, hello, I'm so-and-so, what does the word simplify mean to you and to that person? Wow, lack of leadership. You guys just stood down on your own initiative, started talking on your own initiative. Uh, I think it was last week when I would raise my hand and ask y'all to repeat something or say something out loud. So you're trying to, trying to take control, aren't you? Hey, we're just a couple of weeks into uh, a short series called Simplify. I don't know what that word means to you, but I think for a lot of you, if you're honest, um, in my life it's very true. The word simplify is a refreshing invitation. And we're looking at uh, this series, and it's really a series for people that are overwhelmed, overburdened, people that are just slap worn out. And last week we looked at, in a word, we looked at the idea of rest. Our God is a God of rest. And we, we dropped a really key scripture on you last week. We put it up on the screen. It was Matthew eleven twenty eight 28 to 30, where Jesus says, a lot of you know it, come to me all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you work. I will give you religion. I will give you activities and a different agenda. No, Jesus said, I will give you rest. And there's something about it when I look at us church people, when I look at religion today, when I look at the bloated bureaucracy that it is and the activities and the schedules and the calendars, and I think we've really deviated. We've drifted far from what Jesus intended it to be. It's intended to be a humble walk. The prophet Maya, Micah, rather, years before Jesus said, that our, the, what's required of us is to do justice, to love mercy, to walk humbly with our God. The first sermon ever preached at Fondren Church two and a half years ago next door at Dueling Hall. But Jesus wants us to walk with him and his yoke is easy. His burden is light. Why then the overcomplicated, overwhelming, overburdens that, that we carry? Why are we so worn out when the invitation of Jesus is something different? It's a, it's a radical departure from how many of us live. Last week specifically, in a word, we looked at rest. We looked at Genesis 2, how God created, and then he rests, and he did so to invite us into the rhythm of working hard and resting in a real meaningful way. We looked at Psalm 132, a, a cool passage, and an interesting passage in Hebrews chapter 4, where it says to make every effort to enter into God's rest. Sort of an oxymoron, right? Make effort 
to enter God's rest. Last week you were challenged to look at your life and consider uh, your life as a bucket, an emotional bucket. And is your bucket full? God is a joy-giving God. Jesus, who lived an unhurried and unburdened life, invites us into that. And the invitation that he gives us is for us to imitate him. Ephesians 5.1, be imitators of Christ. That, it's a beautiful blessing to, to walk with him in that way. What gives you life? What gives you joy? Do you know it's important? I, I, I want to be your pastor. And I want to give you a green light to enjoy the satisfaction and the gladness in the joy of God. I stood up here in front of a lot of you on a, a rainy day, the real committed people, the people guaranteed to go to heaven. If you, went to, if you came to church last Sunday, you're in. Uh, but I stood up here and talked to you about uh, my own uh, emotional bucket, and I share with you the things that give me life. I'm, I'm drawn to 1 Timothy 6, 17, where it says, God has given us richly all things to enjoy. Now, what does that mean? It means God, are you ready for this? I've studied the Greek. It means God has given you richly things to enjoy. And I'm asking you, what things do you enjoy? I share with you that I enjoy time with my wife, time with my whole family. I love to, to be outdoors. I love to spend time with a pet that I probably talk too much about. I love to uh, just to hang out with people. You know, I, I've been diagnosed as a raging extrovert. And the more I'm around people, I mean, I love to linger. Our small group goes several hours. You don't want to be in our small group. I love to linger. I think there's the lost art of lingering conversation. My bucket is full when I'm with people. What drains me? Meetings and deadlines and administration and conflict. Because I'm such a people person, when there's conflict, I throw myself into it. I ask her, it takes hours and hours and a lot of emotional expenditure when there is a conflict. I'm not talking about my conflicts. I'm talking about your conflicts. But nobody, nobody's got a conflict with me, right? But those things just drain me. And I submitted before you last week, uh, what about you? What gives you life? What fills your bucket? And we all are guilty of being at times on empty. But it's dangerous to be depleted, isn't it? And I really believe that Jesus wants to fill your bucket. That was last week. Extra points for Robert's recap, I guess. Today, we want to talk about just this idea of controlling your calendar. We want to go from filling your emotional bucket to controlling your calendar. Now, you may be thinking, okay, I came to church for something deep and something meaty today. I feel you there, but I'm convinced that the thoughtful arrangement of your calendar, of your schedule, is one of the most holy things that you can do. It's a common complaint. I'm completely stressed out because I'm overscheduled. This morning, I'm going to share with you three of the favorite, my favorite passages about time in Scripture. The first is this. It's from Ephesians uh, chapter 5. We flirted with it a moment ago. But th this great passage says this. Look carefully then how you walk. Not as unwise, circle that word, but as wise, circle that word. Making the best use of the time. There you go. Because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. Now, God's will for your time and mine is to, to not be unwise, but to be wise. Now, what does the scripture say about being wise? It says a bunch of solid things. 
It tells us that wisdom is something that we have to search for. Proverbs chapter 2 and verse 6 says God gives it. Do you believe that? God wants to give you wisdom. Proverbs 2, 6. But before that, in Proverbs 2, 4, it says that we got to seek it as silver. We have to search for it as hidden treasure. In other words, you got to dig for it. You guys know, uh, it shouldn't surprise you, when I was a kid, I loved Saturday morning cartoons. I'm that old. That's the only time they really came on. And I would sit in front of the TV. I've told you this. I'd sit in front of the TV, and I'd enjoy a big bowl of cereal, frosted flakes, fruity pebbles, cinnamon toast crunch, Captain Crunch, Lucky Charms, Apple Jacks. It's always a part of a healthy breakfast, right? Thank God they had milk and orange juice in that scenario, right? And a banana on the side because that's what made it a healthy breakfast. But those cereals, most of the cereals I ate, like many of you my age, they had what, what was in that box? No, that's not the right answer, young youngster. What was in that box? A prize. And and you had to dig for that prize. Any of you remember that? You got, you, if you were like me, you, you learned your lesson, but you put your hand in that box of Apple Jacks or Frosted Flakes or cocoa, whatever. And man, you were looking my, numerous times. My mama or older sibling told me to get my nappy hand out of that cereal box. I wanted the prize, but the goal there was you had to eat the cereal in order to get the prize. You had to dig a little bit. And wisdom is like that. Sometimes we, we just want the prize. We, we want it to just be there. But it's not topsoil all the time. It's not abundantly clear. Wisdom, many times, and some of you know it, wisdom is hard-earned. You got to dig for it. You got to dig hard for it. There's a, an interesting passage that I stumbled on this week in my study in Ecclesiastes 7.7. 7. It's important in talking about the wise life. It says, extortion turns wise people into fools and bribes corrupt the heart. Now, when I see that passage, I think, all right, God, I'm good on that one. That's, that's not a scripture for Robert Greene. I've never bribed anybody. I've never fallen prey to extortion. Extortion and bribes are always about corrupt government officials and shady politicians, right? It's a, an Illinois governor or a Toronto mayor or any, any Louisiana politician, right? It's just for corrupt people. But I look closer at what a bribe is. And a bribe is when a leader settles when a leader chooses a path to, to, to think of themselves, to benefit themselves over the people. But a bribe is also when you and I, when we choose the benefit of some immediate gratification instead of something better for us, something that God has for us in the long run. Ever taken a shortcut? Ever grabbed a hold of something because you wanted it right then? Your conscience, quite possibly the Spirit of God within you wrought some conviction. But you took a shortcut. You took a bribe. You see, the Scripture tells us that wisdom calls out like a lady. Why does God say in Proverbs that wisdom is like a lady? Because women are smarter, right? Isn't that right? Guys, nod your head. But wisdom also, Proverbs tells us, it calls out to all of us, but so does foolishness. And every time that you and I listen to that, every time we take something in the short run, anytime you get ahead of God, it's it's a bribe. 
And the scripture tells us in Ecclesiastes 7, 7, that there's a lack of wisdom. We need to walk. We need to walk in wisdom. Redeeming the time. Because one version says, because the days are evil. Now, another important passage on wisdom is found, by the way, in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verses 16 to 18. Do you know this one? Rejoice always. Pray without ceasing. Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will. This is the will of God for you in Christ Jesus. You want to know God's will? Bam. Be joyful. Be prayerful. Be thankful. And I am none of those things when my life is overscheduled. None. Psalm chapter 90, verses 10 and 12. This is a bucket list kind of passage. This is one of those Jack Nicholson, Morgan Freeman type passages. The years of our life are 70 or even by reason of strength, 80. Yet their span is but toil and trouble. They are soon gone. And the very verse that inspired Hank Williams to write the song, I'll Fly Away. And we what? We fly away. Who considers the power of your anger and your wrath according to the fear of you? So Verse 12, so teach us to number our days that we may get a heart of wisdom. How long are you going to live? A lot of birthdays today. Jimmy Stewart, Scott McLeod, young man I just met entering church, a young man named Joshua. We got some birthdays out there. Susan's, my wife, hint, hint, her birthday's coming up on Wednesday, Thursday, Tuesday, Tuesday. <laughs> it's April the 15th. I'll be ready. Don't doubt me. But this week early, even though, even though it's, I'm a last-minute guy, my 98-year-old grandmother already sent her a birthday card and a 5 or $10 bill. She hasn't adjusted for inflation through the years. <laughs> but I don't have the courage to tell her. But a 98, I, I witnessed that in our kitchen. I read that card. A 98-year-old woman, my grandmama, sending a <clears throat> year old woman a birthday card. How long are you going to live? Here's the math I did it. 80 years. Uh, he's saying here, by the way, this is Moses in Psalm 90, not David. But 80 years, you, you ready? That's 29,200 days. How many more you got left? I'll tell you mine. 12,045 days. If I make 80. Yesterday, I said to my oldest son, RJ, I've got 12,045 days to live. He said, really? Susan was coming in from the garage. I said, Susan, I've got 12,045 days. She said, can you help me with these groceries? <laughs> Earlier this week at Cups in Fondren, I said to a friend, hey, I've got 12,045 days. That just seems so bleak. And he started to comfort me. And he said, Robert, you're going to a better place. I'm like, really? Are you going to eulogize me now? <laughs> really? I'm going to a better place? That's how many days I've got. Um, I think we're going to be able to present this with the video. Let's give it a shot. Uh, your life uh, by analogy of jelly beans. 
These are roughly 28,835 jelly beans. I counted out 500 of them and used those to weigh the rest. In this pile, there's one jelly bean for each day that the average American will live. You might have more beans in your life, or maybe less, but on average, this is the time we have. Here's a single bean. It's your very first day. A special day, but kind of a rough day on everyone involved. Add 364 more and you have the first year of your life. Now, for a sense of scale, here are your first 15 years. 5,475 days. Which brings us to the threshold of adulthood. And at that moment, this is the time that we have left. And this is, on average, what we will do with all that time. We will be asleep for a total of 8,477 days. If we're lucky, some of that time we'll be sleeping next to someone we love. We will be in the process of eating, drinking, or preparing food for 1,635 days. We'll be at work, hopefully doing something satisfying, for the equivalent of 3,202 of those days. 1,099 days will be spent commuting or traveling from one place to another. Maybe a little bit more if you live in L.A. On average, we will watch television in one form or another for a total of 2,676 days. Household activities, like chores and tending to our pets and shopping, will take another 1,576 days. And we will care for the needs and well-being of others, our friends and family, for 564 days. We'll spend 671 days bathing, grooming, and doing all other bathroom-related activities. And another 720 days will go to community activities, like religious and civic duties, charities, and taking classes. After we remove all those beans, this is what remains. This is the time that we have left. Time for laughing, swimming, making art, going on hikes, text messages, reading, checking Facebook, playing softball, maybe even teaching yourself how to play the guitar. So what are you going to do with this time? How much of it do you think you've already used up? If you only had half of it, what would you do differently? What about half of that? How much time have you already spent worrying? instead of doing something that you love. What if you just had one more day? What are you gonna do today? There's one way to look at scheduling, and I bet 95% of us are guilty of this, as I have been for a good portion of my days. You approach your calendar and your scheduling with the question, what all do I have to get done? But there's a better way. Who do I want to become? And I want to give you in the balance of our time, I want to, I want to hurry but give you three. You've got to hurry when you're doing a sermon on time. But I want, to, I, want to, I want to give you three directives that I think are really important based on Ephesians 5, 1 Thessalonians 5, and Psalm 90, 10 to 12. And the first one is this. The first directive is this. Realize the power of your calendar. All of us are aware of uh, the great John Grisham, one of the most prolific writers of our day. Good bet he's in Starkville this weekend cheering for one of those teams up there in left field lounge, right? John Grisham was, uh, as you know, was an attorney, and he hated his job. He uh, went to the office one day here in Mississippi, and he thought, man, what I, how long do I have to put in 40-hour-plus work weeks, 40 years or more doing this, and prayerfully... He thought, I want to be a writer. And John Grisham did something. It's so simple, I don't want you to miss it. He took out his, his calendar. He looked at the month ahead. 
And he was thinking even further than that. But he wrote the word right on his calendar, W-R-I-T-E. If you're going to be a writer, you probably need to write. So he wrote the word right. And every single Monday through Friday, John Grisham, an attorney, would go to his office an hour early, 60 minutes, he would spend writing a page. In a year's time, 365 days, he wrote his first novel. Over 350 million, I think, is the latest number and counting, or the number of books sold. John Grisham is one of the Mississippi greats, isn't he? And he's a very wealthy man. And he can tell you today the power of a word on his calendar. Years ago, in a, a land far away, there was a man who came up to me, and I love this guy. When I'm sharing my faith, God doesn't give me a lot of fruit right there. I don't know if this surprises you. When I talk to people, some of you are like this. You'll share your faith, and they're just like, Lord, what must I do to be saved? And they come to faith in Christ. And I seem to always hang out with the skeptics and the cynics. And there was this man who lived close to us in Coral Gables, Florida. And he would talk to me. We would have pretty in-depth conversations. And one day after church service, you got to admire the guy for attending worship. He approached me and he said, Robert, man, I'm just, I just don't get it. This is tough and this is confusing. And I said, take out your calendar and write the word alpha for the next 10 Sunday nights, starting in two weeks. Write the word alpha. It's a program. It's a class, um, a real solid class that our church was doing at the time for people who were skeptics or cynics, people that wanted to learn more, people that had a hard time, like some of you, putting your mind around what Jesus says, the offer to be a Christ follower. I said, take it out right now and write the word alpha. 10 weeks. He said, Robert, that's a, that's a big commitment. I said, so is Christianity. So is your life. And this man wrote in alpha for Sunday nights. And the first few weeks that he went, it was confusing. It was, it was tough for him. About a year later, we were baptizing in our church. It was uh, people who had signed up and uh, somewhat uh, spontaneous baptisms for people that that was their next step. Like some of you, it's your next step. And there I was in my celestial angelic robe waiting on him. And he comes down and he says, remember me. And I did. He said, I'm that guy. He felt like he needed a lot of explanation. He said, I'm that guy who really over a year ago talked to you. And you told me to put Alpha on my calendar. And I did. And I wanted to quit. But I stuck with it. And after several weeks, some pieces of the puzzle began to come together. And I have found Jesus to be the most revolutionary, intriguing, compelling person who's ever lived. He's the son of God. He is, I'm about to tell this church, my risen Lord and Savior. With great emotion, he told me that. And I look back on that day and I think because he wrote that word on his calendar. Some of you, I'm going to meddle for a second. Some of you are on the brink in your marriage. And before you risk losing it all, there's a word you could put down. There's a word you and her or you and him could put on your calendar, a word called counseling. We'll help anybody who's on the brink. But you could write that word. What would the ending of your marriage do for your vitality, for the life of your home, for your own heart, for what God has called you to in the future. 
but you could write that word and make it apart. Some of you are isolated. We wouldn't say lonely because there's a stigma, but for some of you, you're isolated, and, and church for you is just somewhere you come occasionally and sit, but when you hear an invitation to serve like we did yesterday or to connect into a group and to get out of rows, as we say, and into circles, you've never seemed interested. Two, three, three weeks ago, I talked to someone who that was his story. He was an isolated guy. He was afraid of jumping into a group. And he told me a few weeks ago, Robert, what a journey it's been. And for the first time, I've, I've spent most of my life in my dysfunctional family talking about people. And now I'm learning how to talk to people. And I'm learning to have, have people talk to me. I'm learning the power of speaking the truth in love. And for you, you need to write that word, Connect to put it on your calendar. Some of you are spiritually drifting. You're distant from God. And I'm really going to sound like a preacher now, but you need to write the word church on your calendar. Even better if you write Fondren Church on your calendar. But some of you, man, it's a, it's a flip of the coin. You're, you're fair weather with this. You, you missed one weekend, and then it's easy to miss a second, and then a third, and there's no wonder that you're drifting Spiritually, that you feel the distance. In the scripture, it's clear. It says that Jesus went to the temple as was his custom. Every week, several times a week, Jesus modeled for us that there's a place to go. And you know I'm kidding. If it's not here, it ought to be somewhere. What word? What word could you put on the calendar that could be life-changing for you and you write it down and listen to me, young people, you stick with it. You see it through. Stay the course. Recognize the power of your calendar. The second thing I want to say, a directive when it comes to time and controlling your calendar is to identify your top five values. What's really, really important to you? If your jelly beans ran out a lot sooner than you thought, your ticker stops ticking any day now, anytime soon. What, what big regrets would you have in your life? What would, what would you, what would you re regret? Maybe it would be the gut-wrenchingly honest conversations that you never had or your abilities or your gifts being actualized and utilized, or sinful patterns in your life that you never confronted, bold prayers that you never prayed, exhilarating risks that you never took, sacrificial gifts that you never offered, lives that you never touched. And then one day you're sitting. If you don't live according to values, you're going to be sitting, shriveled in a recliner somewhere, with deep regrets about how you lived. What are your values? I'm going to tell you mine. This is not going to surprise anybody. Many of yours, many of you will, will essentially have the same. My top five values identified long ago, I want to know and love God. I want to, I want to be in a, I want, I want to have a great marriage. I want to love and provide for my family. I want to do great work. 
I want to make an impact on other people. I, I, I want, that's, that's four actually. And I want to be mentally and physically fit. Those are the five big values of my life. I'm going to do something kind of risky now. But let's, just to demonstrate this idea. Let's say that um, the sand in this glass jar, it represents all that you do in a given day, in a given week, month, year, all. It's just, it's everything that pulls at you, the things that um, make your life your life. But let's say you identify some things that you have to do. You, you've got to work on top of all that, and you've got to um, have a family, and you've got obligations pulling at you. And then what do you do? You come to church. Um, by the way, I went, I went shopping at Target last night. I wasn't trying to get flashy ones, you know, but there was a, a couple of folks in front of me. One of the young ladies said, do you mind if I ask you why you're buying these? I appreciated her confidence. I said, I'm a, I'm a pastor. It's for sermon illustration. The other young lady next to her said, what, 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 what are you going to illustrate? And I said, how God hates nosy people. <laughs> but you, you, come to, you come to church, and then the pastor says something like I'm saying today. And he's talking about like coming back next week and maybe getting in a group. And, and you can see that it's just, it's just you don't have room. Because we start with all the things that we have to do. What do I have to get done as opposed to who do I want to become? And you use your own words, your own values, but if you want to know and love God, if you want to have a great marriage, anybody can be married, but I want to have a great marriage. Some people are married, they've never read a book on marriage. I, I want to I provide for my family. That takes a lot. It takes a lot in this day and age, doesn't it? And men, we bear a, a special burden with that. But I, I, I want to I do great work, and I want to be physically and mentally fit. And you put those th things in first, and then, how nervous are you? And then... Hold on. <laughs> and then it fits. A little clumsy, but it worked. Thank you. Yeah, thank you. No. It's messy, but in life, but living according to your values. And here's what I know. I see it, man. I, I just, let me, let me say this, and I'm, I'm stealing this from a pastor that I admire, this third one. There's a pastor in Georgia who has a whole sermon series called Choosing to Cheat. And it's not what you think, but here's a stealing from him. Uh, number three, learn what to cheat. And I see it all the time. I see 
uh, a couple and they'll get married two adults and they'll between the two of them they'll work two or three jobs they'll have two or three kids they'll get two or three pets instead of the managing the loads that it takes to 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 do that to manage a marriage and children and animals and a lifestyle and jobs they they add to the circuit that's already full they enlist they enroll they join they jump in they don't reduce they just add to it and what happens what happens when you add 80 amps to a circuit that's already maximized on capacity at 100 amps a 180 amp circuit does what it 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 melts down and some of us we think well, we can do it but we're exhausted we're irritable we're short tempered we're spread so thin and if you ask people around you they would probably describe you as a fair weather friend, as an overtired parent, as an overworked employee, as a distant mate. And what we need to learn to do is just to cut some things out. We need to learn to say, this doesn't belong here. Kind of ironic that that's happening right now, right? Some, some things just, I mean, you don't want to use actual people as a sermon illustration because you hope they'll come back. But some, you know, you just have to remove, right? You have to prune. Some people need to be out of here. But we need to learn what to cheat. I learned that um, an animal trainer, when it goes into a cage, into a lion's cage, the animal trainer will bring in uh, weapons, and the, it'll bring in a, a whip and a pistol. And you think, oh, Lord, I hope it doesn't have to use the whip and you sure as heck hope it doesn't, he doesn't have to use the pistol. But their most effective tool, a lion trainer will tell you, is a stool. How, how is a stool a tool? It's their most effective one for when they need to subdue this roaring, ravenous lion, they'll do what? They'll take the base of the stool and they'll point it toward the lion. True it, I'll see if it works on you. But they point it toward the lion, and the lion, this aggressive animal, tries to focus on all four legs of the stool. And its attention is fragmented. It becomes debilitated. It becomes tame and weak. Just what the trainer needed at the moment. But for you and I, when we try to focus on so many things, our attention gets fragmented. We get debilitated. We become weak and tame. And what I'm saying this morning is God has a a purpose for you. Uh, You are created as a wild animal. And there should be potency and power in your life and in your walk. But your your tendency in mind to focus on too many things at once leaves us paralyzed. What is it? What do you need to learn to cheat? I'm going to close with a friend, a really good friend, who you're year and a half ago, we sat down at coffee and man, we both were just talking man to man and our tears came to both of us as he shared this story. I'm a, I'm a dad. I've got kids of my own. I, I got a daughter. And it softened me to listen to my friend who was learning the joys of cheating as, after he identified his values. And this busy Christian guy who was highly sought after he said, we, we cheated. We, we cut some things out. 
He tells the story, he was telling me the story of him and his wife uh, being in their bedroom one night and their 15, 16 year old daughter at the time, her room was next door and they heard her crying, not just crying, but sobbing. And normally, my friend told me, normally that's my wife's job. She's the comforter, she's the nurturer. He said, I I just felt compelled. My heart was broken. Her crying intensified and I went in and I opened the door and she was... She was in the floor by her closet. It just, un, it just undoes a father, sobbing. He sat down with her. He held her. He was telling me that he didn't know what was wrong. He, he didn't even discover that night what was wrong. Looking back, he didn't even know if she knew what was wrong. Girls are like that. Why are you crying? I don't know. Why are you sobbing, moving the tectonic plates? I don't know. He says, though, in the moment, it was just a tender moment, and his heart was just wrung out for her. And he was thinking at the time, even though he didn't find out what was wrong, he thought, the, he thought maybe it was something that somebody said that day at school. Maybe it was just that unexpected wave of fear and anxiety that comes over people, especially kids, especially teenagers. He said, I held her until her sobbing turned into soft crying and and then into sniffles. And with her head on my shoulder, my shoulder being very wet, I prayed a prayer for her. I prayed, God, restore my daughter. Strengthen her. Fill this room with your presence. See her through this. And that day, my friend was telling me, he said, Robert, to a younger guy in ministry, he said, Robert, I am so glad that I was home that night. And then he told me just a few weeks prior to that, with board meetings, speaking engagements, social events, attending to other people's crisis, he was gone five and many times six nights a week. And we sat down and we decided with the age of our kids, how many nights should I be home? They made it four. He said, I'm so glad. I'm so glad I was there for her. Would you pray with me? God, it seems at times that... um, that we could want more meat or something deeper, something heavier. But I'm convinced when I look at lives that are overwhelmed and overburdened and worn out, that we really need you to speak into us, to fill our emotional bucket, to help us control our calendar. And Lord, I, I thank you that you've called us to walk differently to walk as wise, not as unwise. And God, I would pray for for your church, for this church right now. Lord, it's my heart's desire to pastor these people and to, to lead them to you through this wonderful invitation. God, teach us to number our days. Help us redeem the time. 
We're hurrying and scurrying and wondering what your will is. But, Lord, you tell us today it's to be joyful, to be prayerful, to be thankful. And it doesn't happen with all the sand in our jars. Lord, would you this day begin work in single people and in married people, in young and in old, to help us to identify the big things. And Lord, I would pray that you would give us the wisdom and the courage to put the big things in first. It'll seem a little messy, a little scary. But Lord, you're right. Jesus, you're right. In Matthew 6, we all know it, we've heard it, but when you tell us to seek first the kingdom and all these things will be added unto you. Give us grace, Lord, where we have failed where we've even maybe identified values and we've, we've drifted off course. Lord, restore us in your grace. I thank you for people and specifically some men that you've put in my own life that through their stories have probably kept me on track. Lord, we want to worship you. Would you give us wisdom? Would you give us courage in controlling our calendar? In you we pray. Amen.